I'm here with Suzanne Jacob, who's the chief exec of Safe Lives. Uh, and for those who don't know, Safe Lives is a UK-wide charity dedicated to ending domestic abuse. Um, so Suzanne, maybe you can start by just telling us about Safe Lives and particularly the work that you've done focusing on domestic abuse and mental health. Thanks, Andre. Um, so Safe Lives uh, as an organisation is about 15 years old. And as you say, we work all across the UK. And where we started as an organisation was thinking particularly about the adult victim survivor of domestic abuse. And we looked particularly at ways to broaden out the range of responses that would be available for people. So the, the national conversation and the policy conversation was very much about fleeing, um, escaping in the middle of the night with your kids under one arm and bin bags of clothes and possessions under the other. Um, and we were very keen as an organisation that the conversation should broaden out from there. Somebody should have a right to stay safely in their own home if that can be made possible uh, by the various agencies who are designed to support and uh, and have that kind of person walking alongside them who we would refer to as the IDVA, the Independent Domestic Violence Advisor, who works with uh, that person to make sure that she can be safe in her own home, uh, that she can um, create the safety plan and have other needs met around what's going on in the situation. Over time, as an organization, we felt that that was still an incredibly important part of what we were doing, but that in some instances, uh, that could be seen as parking the ambulance at the bottom of the cliff instead of fencing off the cliff at the top. And so um, back in 2015, we started some very concerted work with organizations' respect and social finance around those who use abusive behaviors. Um, and that's our DRIVE program, um, which people may have heard of. And we also started looking in a lot more detail at what happens to the family as a whole, the interrelation between different family members and their experiences, whether that's the adult, children, victim, survivor or perpetrator, um, because historically the responses to domestic abuse have um, only really dealt with one person at once and treated families as if they weren't connected to each other, which of course isn't right and that doesn't create the most sustainable way of um, ending and solving domestic abuse situations. So um, that's been a real change for us as an organization. Uh, and then last year, 2018, we spent um, a period doing some further strategy review work and that's our new published strategy which came out in November, which people will be able to find on our website. It's called The Whole Picture and um, we're very much dedicated to making the links, not just between those family members and their experiences, but also the various things that happen for a, a, a person who either has been living with or is living with an experience of domestic abuse, be they child, adult, um, grandparent, friend, you know, really trying to see that whole picture uh, of what's happening for somebody and mental health is deeply, deeply linked to all of those family members' experiences. And you've got this great landing page on your website. If people search for Safe Lives, Domestic Abuse and Mental Health Spotlight, they'll find it. And it's, it's full of guidance for agencies and services and lots of blogs, lots of different perspectives, um, audio podcasts, videos, loads of great stuff. Um, what was your kind of sense of what, why did you put that together? Presumably there's a bit of a gap in the information in that respect. Yeah, the Spotlight series is something that we've been running now for the last couple of years and we are really proud of. Uh, and it is something that um, it is that, you know, gets the highest sort of hit rates on our website, actually. Um, 
and I think that's partly about the way the content is formatted. So you can just dip in and out and have, um, you know, if you've only got 15 minutes um, to listen to something or to have a read of something, then there's very accessible material there as well as the longer reads. Um, and the, the purpose of the Spotlight series is to make sure that um, we're, we're shining a light on people who are facing additional barriers to getting the support that they need. So sometimes referred to as hidden victims, but erroneously, because actually in so many of these cases, people are trying their hardest to be heard and to be seen. And it's us as a system um, that are not hearing and seeing them. So uh, the series began with victims of abuse who are over 60, who are largely um, ignored and invisible uh, in the response to domestic abuse. And we've gone on from there. And I think we're now on um, spotlight number seven. And the mental health spotlight was created because it was a very clear picture in the evidence base that we hold. And we do hold some very big data sets at Safe Lives that those people who are experiencing poor mental health are getting um, a less suitable response from the system as a whole. Um, the system doesn't really work. Um, when you have mental health problems as well as domestic abuse problems. And we really wanted to kind of get a light on that, um, shine a light on some of the evidence, some of the voices in that, um, and try and push for change. So do we know how prevalent mental illness is in people who are victims or perpetrators of domestic violence? We have uh, people's self-reported figures. And I say self-reported as a bit of a caveat because there are many reasons why particularly a victim survivor might not disclose that they're experiencing poor mental health. In particular, uh, what survivors say quite often is, I don't want my children to be taken away. And I think that there will be stigma attached if I say that I'm having a mental health problem and therefore better not to disclose it. Of course, in some instances, somebody might not be fully aware of um, what their mental health situation is they just know that they're uh, not feeling great but in terms of the self-disclosed figures um, we know that around 40 percent of those who are accessing specialist domestic violence services uh, about 40 percent of them um, self-disclose an issue of mental health um, and that can be a sort of reactive period of mental ill health because of the situation they've been in or it could be something more acute and long term and the rate of suicide ideation, so obviously at the very severe end, is about 15% amongst that, um, that group of survivors. There are then some specific um, factors about your identity which might make it more likely that you're experiencing both mental ill health and domestic abuse at the same time. So LGBT plus survivors of domestic abuse using services, about 50% of them report that they're having um, issues with mental health and about 28% of them, so double the number, uh, are at the very severe end of suicide ideation. So the picture is, um, is a, you know, shows a very, very strong crossover in all instances, but is then, is then even more emphatic um, for some people. In terms of perpetrators, um, the picture is broadly similar, in fact. Um, uh, self-disclosed rates of poor mental health are about 43%. That's what we've seen in the DRIVE programme. Um, the DRIVE programme deals only with those people who pose a particularly high risk uh, to their family members. And uh, so that might suggest that some of the issues that people are dealing with in those situations are more acute. But actually, when we've tested that with experts, they feel that that's probably reasonably representative of the perpetrator cohort more more generally. 
So if those are self-disclosed rates, you know, around 40, 45, 50%, you know, we can understand there that the, the crossover between mental ill health and domestic abuse is extremely high. Yeah. I guess domestic violence doesn't just affect the victims and the perpetrators. There's all sorts of other people involved, the children perhaps, or the other family members. Um, and one of the issues that we have, I suppose, is that services, be they domestic abuse services or mental health services or other agencies, they um, aren't necessarily joined up in their working and their thinking. Um, so you often hear about mental health services who say we don't really know how to do domestic violence support. Um, how do you think we can improve the care and support that we provide people and work in a more cross-disciplinary way? I think it's true. I think that um, mental health services are not particularly familiar or confident with issues of domestic abuse. And the same is true in reverse. Specialist domestic abuse services would very transparently say that they don't feel entirely confident asking about, domestic, um, asking about mental health and then responding if somebody discloses something. Uh, and that will be another um, aspect that's imp impacting on the rate of people who are willing and able to disclose, obviously, is it, how you ask the question is very important in terms of what somebody feels confident to share. So there is something really important about forging links between those who are working in the mental health field and those who are working in the domestic abuse field, such that we don't have to become specialists in each other's disciplines. We've got to be realistic about this but that we do minimum uh, have a base of understanding about what those issues are that cross over. We understand what the referral routes might be into local services um, that have that other discipline that we don't, that we know um, how to best support somebody in those very initial stages in that very first conversation to make sure that we do no harm. So there's some very simple things, I think, around that kind of... Um, cross-disciplinary working and the kind of connections that people will be able to make. Um, so I'm, I've been invited uh, with the British Association of Counselors and um, Psychotherapists to, to take part in some discussions that they want to have internally about broadening out their understanding, uh, having sort of 27,000 therapists under the auspices of BACP, obviously, they are very keen to improve the knowledge and understanding that they have that they can take into the therapy room for all members of the family that they might see. Of course, they might see somebody who's got a non-recent experience of domestic abuse from childhood, but that that's heavily impacting on their adult life and so on. So um, the more that we can do, I think, as a sector in domestic abuse to extend ourselves and make ourselves available, make data available, make skills, practical tools, um, the Lara tool, obviously, that um, Louise and Sean and others have worked on, I think is incredibly helpful. You know, those practical things that help people build up their confidence as well as their knowledge and skills, I think are really important. Mm -hmm.